My name is Greg Jones. I'm the campus pastor here at our airline campus. And this is part three of Soul Care. We're going to be wrapping up uh, this series this week. So excited next week to have Pastor Jay. Pastor Jay, one of my favorite pastors. He always brings the heat, man. He brings the energy. When he speaks, he'll be here at the airline campus live for both of our services next Sunday. Soul Care, part three. You know about... Two years ago, I found myself emotionally in a place that I had never been before. And let me preface that by saying this. I've understood what it means to go through situations or circumstances that bring stress, fear, worry, anxiety. I mean, listen, if you lived in our community in 2016, you understand what that means, right? We don't have to go back too far to understand what what stress feels like, what worry feels like, what uh, discouragement, what anxiety, all these different emotions that we can feel. But a couple of years ago, this wasn't that because there was nothing going on in my life that would have caused it. You know, it's easy when you know what's causing something to go after it, right? You, you, you know how to attack it. You know how to go after it. But when there's no reason for what you're feeling, when I was begin to feel a level of anxiety and a level of uh, fear, a level of hopelessness for no reason at all. Uh, and so, you know, you begin to think in your mind, because I've been doing this a lot of years. This is my 33rd year in the ministry, faced a lot of struggles, battles, a lot of victories, you know, fall down, get up, fall down, get up, just like everybody else. And so I, you begin to try to use some of the same tools you used to win in the past, right? Even a, even a place in, in my home in our sunroom. I've got a, I've got a place. I've got a chair that I, I sit there and I've had so many good times with God in that place, you know, reading his word and praying. And so you think, well, maybe I just need to duplicate something I've done before. And I'd find myself just sitting in that chair, you know, alone where I had felt so, so many times had felt the presence of God and all I felt was more anxiety. I, I mean, I was doing what I knew to do, but I just felt th- the best way I can describe it is this. I was going through a period of time where I felt like emotionally I was sinking beneath the surface of this sea of hopelessness. I was sinking and I was trying everything I could, right? to get back to the top. I don't know if you've ever been there. I had never been there before. And I felt like inwardly I was I was struggling just to get back to the surface and I couldn't figure out how to get there. And the thing was, it wasn't getting any better. You know, you just, time heals everything. Well, sometimes it doesn't. It wasn't getting any better. As a matter of fact, it was only growing worse and I was out of answers. I was out of options. I didn't know what else to do. And here's the worst thing about it. I didn't tell anybody. Like the good male that I am, I just sucked it up and smiled and faked it. Nobody on staff knew what I was feeling or going through. None of my friends knew what I was going through. Most of my family had no idea, had not at that point hadn't even told anybody in my family what I was going through. And I'm, I'm, I'm just here to tell you, I'm so blessed and so thankful for my wife, Stephanie, who's right here on the front row. Because if you know Stephanie, you know that she is sincere, she is genuine, she is authentic, and she can sniff out fakery a mile away. <laughs> like burnt toast in the kitchen, man. You're around her too much, she'll come. I smell fake. <laughs> 
I smell something ain't real. I smell something's not right. I sense something's going on. And because she loved me so much, even though I hadn't told anybody, and even though I was just smiling and lying, man, just smiling and lying, just trying to get, you know, grip my teeth and get through it, but it was only getting worse. I'll never forget the day that, it, I'll never forget the, the place the, in our living room. I was sitting in our love seat when she approached me and started talking to me out of love and compassion and care. And she said, Greg, we need to talk. Something's going on with you. You're, you something's different. Something's changed. And I, I, I need you to talk to me. I need you to tell me. I want to help you. Tell me. And so I began to describe to her some of the same language that I, I just used with you earlier in trying to tell her how I felt emotionally. And I and I'm feeling anxious all the time and I don't know why and I'm feeling fearful and I don't know why and I'm feeling this level of, of, of emotional anxiety. I said, Stephanie, it's not getting better. It's, it's getting worse. And then I said these words. I didn't plan on saying these words. I had never thought these words. These words had never come out of my mouth before. But as I sat there in an attempt to let her know where I was at, I found myself saying this, Stephanie, I don't know what's going on. I just feel depressed. And when I said it, it was almost like I stepped into the light finally. I had been suffering in silence for weeks and weeks and weeks, maybe even months. But when I said it, I just, and immediately she covered me in love. There was absolutely no judgment. There was absolutely no, well, what kind of a man are you? There was no, you just need to suck it up. Life's hard. It was none of that. She just said, she had, she said, Greg, it's going to be okay. She said, Greg, I, I understand. She had been through something similar. Ambie and a nurse, she knew, she knew the spiritual side, but she knew the medical side of it too. And I felt immediately covered in grace. I felt immediately covered in peace. I felt immediately, even though things hadn't completely changed, I felt that there was hope on the horizon because somebody understood and somebody could walk through that with me. Thank you, Stephanie. I love you. And so she said, this is what we need to do. She said, number one, it's going to be okay. We're going to pray. God's going to move. God's going to take care of this. Number two, we need to make an appointment to go see your doctor and find out if there's other issues at play here. I'm like, you're calling the shots at this point. Just tell me what to do. And so we did. We made an appointment with my doctor and she came with me. She was so gracious and loving. She sat there with me and just supported me because now I'm bringing somebody else into the loop, right? Now I'm a man bringing another man into the loop. We men don't do so good with that. Now I've got to be vulnerable with somebody else, a professional. And so he begins to ask me a series of questions and begins to ask me to rate my feelings on each question. Nobody, I've never had anybody ask me these questions before. And so he's asking me and I'm looking at her and she's looking at me and she's saying, Greg, just be honest and tell him what you told me. So I just I just opened myself up and I and, and I just told I feel like this. And he'd say, OK, how about this area? Well, I feel like this. Well, how about this area? I feel like this. And my wife began to help him. And OCD, his OCD has kicked him bad. He's in overdrive OCD bad. And I said, thank you for that. Thank you for that. Feeling vulnerable enough, but yes, put that down. Also, the OCD thing. And so, as we as we begin to walk through that, as, as an end result, I was diagnosed with moderate depression. It seems like I had serotonin levels that were low. I, it's not really fair. I didn't even know I had serotonin. I didn't even know what it was. 
I mean, you know, you tell me the level of oil in my car is low. I know how to check it. I know how to fill it. I know, you know, we need to top it off. How do you check a serotonin level when you don't even know you have serotonin? And you, I had to look it up. Oh, your serotonin levels. Oh, it is. Would I go to a store? I mean, would I, would we, would I drink a gallon of serotonin? What do we do? And I, be, I read up on it and, and, and I began to find out it, that's a key hormone. That at certain ages can, 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 it's not just related to age, but it can be. It stabilizes our moods. Well, that answered a lot. It stabilizes our feelings of well-being. Well, that, and it affects our whole body. I'm like, well, there you go. <laughs> that describes everything. So through medicine to level that out and a new spiritual approach, because I, I dove in with both feet spiritually too. Because I, and this is my, the way that I look at things, whether it's by medical or by miracle or by both, as long as Jesus gets it done, we good. He whom the Lord sets free is free indeed. And so I'm all for using whatever God has. And I just want to let you know through the, the walking out of that, God has completely restored and healed me. And I am so grateful. It's a part of my story of his glory now. And I can remember after, as soon as we left that his office and went and sat in the, in the car, Stephanie's still so good. She, now that I, cause she knew, now that you've got, you've heard this dog, you've heard these words, she knew I may feel even worse. She said, do not be ashamed of that, Greg. That, that does not define you. A diagnosis does not define you. God's mercy and grace and healing defines us. So she continued to cover me and I began to get into God's word. And I, what I learned was this. God created us so he knows how to heal us. Amen. God created us so he knows everything that's going on inside of here. And if he created us, he can take care of it. And if something gets broken, he knows how to fix it. I had read Psalm 23 hundreds of times in my life. But there was a just a portion of a verse in Psalm 23 that just jumped off the page. As Now I was doing something medical, but I was doing something spiritual too. I said, God, I need you to speak to me. I need you to show me what you want to do in my life. And I'll never forget one day soon after that, I was reading Psalm 23. And it talks about how the Lord is my shepherd. Therefore, I have everything I need. And it said, he restores my soul. And it jumped off the page because I realized in that moment, that soul is our mind, our will and our emotions. God had a promise before I even had a problem. Why would God give us a promise to restore and heal our mind, our wills, and our emotions unless he knew that we were a broken people that lived in a broken world that sometimes could break our souls? God says, I understand the situations you find yourself in. And he said, so I promise you, you're never going to walk alone in this. If you find that your soul is damaged or distressed or depressed or if there's an issue there, he says, I'll walk with you. I'll be the good shepherd that can restore not just your body, not just your spirit, but your soul, too. And he began walking me through this. Last week, we began to talk about week one was great with with um, uh, Andy here that just such a great insight on from his p- 
position as a professional talking about soul care. But then last week we talked about, Connor was here, I was at Mount Zion campus, but he began to talk about ways that we keep ourselves in this emotional cave, a dark place, a lonely place, an isolated place. There's some things that if we don't understand that we'll get stuck and we'll stay in there. But this week we're going to learn some ways that we can come out of those dark, lonely, isolated places. We're going to go right back to the story of Elijah because you remember last week he was, he was, we kind of left him alone in a cave, right? He had a servant that was with him that could have supported him, but he told his servant, you stay. Worst deci- he made a decision like me. Elijah said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go at this alone, right? So he told his servant, ah, you stay here. I'm a man. I'm going to go in this cave. I'm going to figure this out. But we left him in a very dark place. And we left him saying things like this. I, I, I've had enough. I can't take this anymore. Take my life. He was actually beginning to get borderline suicidal. A great man of God who had seen great things done. But you remember we, last week we talked about self-talk and how psychologists call it ruminating. Things we say to ourselves, sometimes out loud, but sometimes just in our mind over and over and over and over. And we're defining ourselves when we do that. We're, we're placing ourselves in a position that almost is creating our life by speaking that out or thinking that over and over. He said, I'm helpless. I'm hopeless. It's never going to get any better. I might as well just die. He was self-talking himself to a place of very unhealthiness in his, in his emotion. So we're going to pick back up with that story and let's see how God walked him out of that cave. In 1 Kings 19, verses 5 through 8, it says this. He just finally got worn worn out spiritually, physically, emotionally. He lay down under the bush and fell asleep. All at once, an angel touched him. God said, I'm not going to leave him in this state. An angel touched him. (laughs) Get this. This amazes me. The first advice that God would give him. What do you think would be the first advice you would give somebody if they came to you with this? I know what I would tell them, but the first advice the angel said was get up and eat. This is so awesome, man. This must have been a Cajun angel, the great angel Boudreaux or something. Because isn't that what our moms would tell us? Oh, I don't know. I don't feel, I feel this. I feel, well, you just need to eat. Shy. You just need something to eat. That's what our moms would tell us. And isn't it amazing? That's what God's telling him. <laughs> and he looked, he said, you need to eat. So Elijah looked around. God's so good, he provided. There by his head was some bread that was baked over hot coals and a jar of water. So he ate and he drank and he laid down again. The angel apparently just stood back and he watched him eat and he watched him fall off to sleep again. So the angel just let him take another nap. Just watched him sleep for a little while. And then it says the angel came back a second time and touched him and said, get, he came to the time for a second helping. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> There's more jambalaya. <laughs> he said, get up and eat some more. He said, for the journey is too much for you. You get that? Come on. And he's not just talking about a physical journey. Yes. A 10-mile journey, a 20-mile journey, a 40-mile journey. Yes, he's talking about at this point, the journey of life is too much for you. Physically, spiritually, emotionally, it's overwhelming you. You're making yourself sick in every realm possible of, of your life. So he got, he said, <laughs> you need to stop. 
He, he got him up and he ate again. Strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. Our first step out of the cave is this. Who would have thought we need a physical recovery first? Because God knows if we're physically at such a weakened state where we can't even take care of ourselves, there is no way we're going to be able to get to that emotional, spiritual, mental place of health. God starts where we're at, and that's physically. Because there's some strength we'll need to keep walking forward that if our bodies aren't strong enough to handle, and it can be an unusual place to start. I mean, I'm thinking myself, if this angel would have woke him, hey, hey, okay, wake up, get up there, boy, time to get up and pray. I mean, you need to, boy, you need to pray. You're in this cave of depression. Boy, get up, get your Bible out, son. I mean, put some worship music on. What are you doing just laying down and giving up? But he didn't say any of that. Not yet. He didn't say any of that yet. He said, you need to get up and you need to eat. All the typical responses we'd give someone, people struggling, is not what the angel said. Jesus was Jesus had this same heart. You remember the story when he was ministering to that huge crowd and he looked out over that crowd and even though their, their greatest need may have been spiritual, he was teaching them, he was giving them words of life. He looked out over the crowd and he said these words. He said, I feel sorry for these people. You think, oh, it was a spiritual thing. No, he said they have nothing left to eat. He looked and began to discern a spiritual need. He said, if I send them home hungry, listen, he said, they'll faint along the way. I believe that's a word for some of you today that I believe some of you are in a place physically, spiritually, emotionally, mentally, that you've been on this journey of life, on this last year and a half, two years of everything we've been through in our life, with our families, in our country, all the things that we've been through financially, the things we've been through emotionally. And I feel like God is saying, hey, you're beginning to faint along the way. You're beginning to get weak along the way. You've pushed so hard. You've put your head down and just kept pushing through life so hard. I feel like you're fainting along the way. You need to do, we need to do what the angel said, eat and sleep. We need a physical recovery first. You're burning the candle at both ends. You're trying to keep up with the Joneses. Don't keep up with us. We ain't going nowhere. You ain't got to keep up. I'm putting, I'm trying to put this thing in, in slow motion. Let's take care of ourselves physically first. Remember this. Remember this. If we don't prioritize our life, someone else will. Who is calling the shots in your life for what is most important and what you will do and how you will spend your time is what is most valuable. Who is doing that? There is a line. We live in a culture where there is a line of people who would love to tell you how to spend your life, how to spend your time, how to spend your emotional energy, how to spend your money. They're in a long line. Disney World would love to tell you how to prioritize your life. Don't listen to the mouse. This is not an anti-Disney World campaign or commercial I got going here. I just know 
through social media, through commercials, through comparing ourselves that we talked about right last week, comparing ourselves with everybody else. The, 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 the word we get, the prioritization we get from culture around us is we're missing out. We're missing out. And we're carrying that around. We're missing out. I'm missing out. My kids are missing out. They're missing out. My family's missing out. So we have to work more. We have to achieve more. We have to gain more money. We have to gain more status. We have to go more. We have to do more. Travel ball wants a piece of you. God have mercy. Oh, if my kids don't play travel ball, are they going to just end up being the most dysfunctional, disappointed kids? This is not anti-travel ball. I'm just telling you the picture that society paints for us. It could come from our job or from school. Every piece of our culture wants a piece of us. And yet this is what the psalmist wrote in uh, chapter 90, verse 12. The psalmist, I think after having gone through something like this, trying to figure out what's important in his life, said, teach us to number our days, O God, and recognize how few they really are. And I love this part. Help us to spend them as we should. If we ask, God will help us to prioritize our life. Yes, there are things that we have to do. Yes, they will turn the electricity off if we don't pay the bill. Yes, we can go on vacation. But who is calling the shots? Is society calling the shots? Is culture calling the shots? Is social media calling the shots? Or can we be as the psalmist here and said, God, I need you to call the shots. My life is too full. My life is all over. So here's, here's my first encouragement for you today. Get ready. Get ready. Get ready. You're going to write this down. Get your notebook out. Get ready. This is great. You're not going to miss this. Here's my, here's your homework for you today when you leave this place. Get ready. I want you to go home and eat and take a nap. Say it's Greg. That's first Greg two verses 12 right there. Okay. Can you handle that? Is that too deep for you? Thus saith Greg, go home, eat, take a nap. The Louisiana Cajun translation says, eat yourself some jambalaya, shad, and lay yourself down. Okay? It's time to rest. The first step out of the cave is we just need some physical recovery. Here's number two. We need a God encounter. Yeah, you knew that was coming. We can't do this on our own. Yes, we need to take care of our bodies. Yes, we need to reprioritize and find out what we need to say yes to, what we need to say no to. Put some things in order so we can have some margin and space in our life, in our minds. But we need desperately to have some God encounters. Here's, 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 this is what God picks up next in the story. God comes to Elijah in the cave and here's the next thing he said. The Lord said, go out. And stand on the mountain, get this, in the presence of the Lord. He's bringing, he says, you begin to rest, all right? You're starting to get it back. You're starting to get it back. You're starting to feel like the OU. You can make a journey now. But he said, don't, don't, don't start the journey yet. We need some a presence of God in our life. For the Lord's about to pass by. He knew exactly what Elijah, he said, you need my presence. You need me to pass by. You need me to touch you. You need some joy and peace and grace and mercy and strength that you can't get from society around you. God says it can only come from me. And then God gives him a great visual. 
like you could think the greatest 75 inch projection, you know, projector TV, LED, awesome 3D glow in the dark ninja creation you could ever see or experience surround sound on. God did better. He went up that. He did a visual demonstration for Elijah. This is the coolest thing ever. So he brings him out and God says, stand there and watch this. A great powerful wind suddenly came and tore the, Elijah's watching this in amazement, tore the mountains apart and shattered the rock. Now God had a reason, shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. There was wind and there was a great display, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake. Elijah's like, what is going on here? But the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire. I mean, we got earth, wind, and fire going. Hey, get it started in the 80s. God, the original earth, wind, and fire. And he's got this visual display. After the earthquake came a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. In other words, it was going on around Elijah. And here was the message. He said, why would God go through all the trouble of feeding him and letting him rest and then bringing him out and telling him he needed his prayer. Why would he go through all this trouble of this earth, wind and fire, earthquake, all this stuff? He wanted to show him that chaos around him, a life lived with noise and movement and chaos around him is not the answer. He wanted to show him, you see all these things you've been going, you've been doing, you've been involved with, you've been running so hard, Elijah, and you've been so, and we're like that, stimulus from all sides, everything we see and hear and experience. And sometimes God says, you just need to stop. I'm not in that. Some of the ways we're spending our time and we're experiencing these these earth, wind and fire through all the visual stimulus and on our phones and TVs. And none of it's I'm not saying it's bad. God's just saying this is what your life has looked like. It has been frenzied and nonstop. But Elijah, you need to know I'm not in that. And after the fire, keep reading, after the fire came a gentle whisper. God was in the gentle, quiet whisper. What an incredible object lesson that he gave Elijah about life. All this frenzy and all this chaos. God said it can go on around you, but once it's going on inside of you, something begins to be unhealthy. A gentle whisper of God's presence. We look for the dynamic, but God's in the intimate. Let me give you three words. Are these three words a part, not just of your vocabulary, but of your life? Quiet, still, and settled. Is there any room? Is there any margin? Is there any time that you've carved out? Is there any time emotionally, spiritually, mentally that you've carved out time for quiet, still, and settled? That's the lesson he was trying to teach Elijah. Elijah, your life's too crazy. Quiet, we wear this, this, this badge of honor, this, this terminology of crazy busy as a badge of honor in our culture, don't we? So we feel good about saying it. We feel good when somebody asks you, how's life? Why are you doing? Oh, bro, it's crazy busy, crazy busy. And we feel like that's the American way, crazy busy. No, it's the cultural way, but it's not the kingdom way. 
God showed Elijah what crazy busy looked like, but he said, dude, I'm not in it. He said, but I am in the quiet, in the still, and the settled. There's got to be. We know there's going to be periods of our life where it's frenetic. We know we can't turn off. We can't check out of culture or society. That's why we've got to check in to some quiet. Our minds and lives, it's gone too far when we need stimulus all the time from all directions. It's gone too far when chaos feels normal and calm feels abnormal. We've gone too far. We've crossed the line from kingdom of God into culture when chaos, everything, we don't even know what to do with quiet. We wouldn't know what to do with a moment of quiet and peace and calm and still and just quieting our soul. We, we would grab our phone. Ever done that? It gets quiet and we get feeling awkward because our emotions are so used to chaos. So we want to feed more chaos. So we stream something, watch something, grab our phone. I need something that is, I need chaos because chaos is normal. But God says, no, we've got to have some time of quiet. John Mark Comer made this, this, uh, uh, statement, this quote. I love it. He said, hurry is a form of violence on our souls. When I read that, I said, my God, that defines my life so much of the time. I'm hurried going from here to there. Kids, life, work, church, meetings here, there. And to understand that that kind of hurry is not how God created us to live. We may have to live in it, but it doesn't have to live in us. Psalm 4610 says, be still. <laughs> be still. And know that I am God. Sometimes we're just going too fast. Isn't it amazing in this verse? Knowing comes only after slowing. We want to just kind of add God on, stick God on to this frenzied, chaotic, fast-paced, hurried life. And we want to think that we're going to really get to know him and get some grace and peace and joy. But we're just sticking God on. We're just adding him on to our chaos. When this scripture said, knowing comes only after slowing. We've got to carve out some time. Sometimes I've realized, especially as I've grown through this restoration period in my life, and I understand more what it takes to have soul health and soul care. Sometimes I realize, mm, time to press pause. I just need a moment with God. I know where my emotions are taking me. If I keep going this route, I just, I, I need, I just got to get with Jesus. I need me a good Brandon Lake song. Any Brandon Lake fans in there, I need a good worship, a good worship song. I need to sip on a Coke Zero. Possibly have one of my daughters there in the room doing a little interpretive worship dance that I don't even know she's doing. And it looks like this. Yeah, that's the good stuff. Yeah, girl. She can teach you that if you'd like. Because we have those moves. Those are Jones moves. We have those copyrighted. But we can meet you after and she can teach those to you. I didn't even know Kyle was filming that. And you look at it and you laugh and it looks so odd. But the, I was not playing around in that moment. Oh, I was sipping my Coke Zero. I tell you, you know, two of the greatest things, three of the greatest things in life that I was trying to tap into right there. Jesus, right? Time with Jesus. 
Coke Zero and my daughter. I didn't even know she was doing all that. I didn't even know Kyle was videoing that. I did that intentionally because I know what it's like when I get stressed. You know, you know the feelings, right? You know when you get in there. You know when you about to go off on somebody, you know what's going to come out. You know it ain't going to be good. You know you're going to be sorry later, but you don't have no way to stop it. Well, I've begun to figure out some ways to stop. I said, shut it down. Turn on my worship song. Just talking to Jesus, worshiping Jesus, sipping on my Coke Zero. I do that regularly. No, my daughter ain't there regularly doing that. You can talk to her about that. That's her thing. That's her thing. Whatever it takes to get there. But I know, I know when I just have to stop and get with Jesus because it gets my perspective right. Because when I get stressed or anxious or worried or fearful, I don't see things as God sees them. I see things through a filter of my emotions. And I've learned that I need to sometimes just stop and for a moment, get in God's presence and remember, I don't have to be the rock. He's already my rock. He's my fortress. He's my deliverer. He's my strong tower. This weeping may endure for a night, but joy will come in the morning if we connect with him. Only in God's presence can we get God's perspective. We've got a car of time in our life for this. A God encounter will help get us out of the cave. What's next? What's next? Number three, we need to step into our true identity. God identified something going on in Elijah's life here because he, he was taking him through some steps. Physically, he took care of him, right? He ate, he slept, he ate, he slept. He was getting him ready for a journey. He taught him that what your life looks like chaotically is not where the peace is at. It's in that quiet. It's in that still. It's in those moments where we can hear God's voice and sense his presence. But he's finding out there's still some steps to go. First Kings 19, 13 says, when Elijah heard it, this, this quiet, still whisper, he pulled his cloak over his face and he went out and he stood at the mouth of the cave. In other words, something about God's presence began to draw him out of the cave. So God... God asked him a question, not because God didn't know the answer to the question, but he wanted to see how Elijah would answer the question internally. God said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? In other words, where are you at now? I begin to strengthen you, begin to feed you. I begin to show you the value of rest and priorities and time with me. Where are you at now? And here's, here's, where, here's where you know Elijah wasn't completely there yet. Elijah, he's like, well, kind of tell you, kind of like therapy with Jesus going on here. <laughs> well, how are you feeling? Well, you know, Elijah, I can picture him kicked back on the couch. Well, I've been very zealous for you, God. You know that. The Israelites, everybody else, nah, they turned their back on you. They've torn down your altars. They're killing people left and right. Not me. You know me. And this is what he says. He began, this is how God knew he wasn't quite out yet. He said, I'm the only one left. Instead, he said, in other words, he's still pointing to himself. He's still labeling himself as a victim. He's still blaming other people. He said, I'm the only one left and they're trying to kill me too. 
So God back, backs it up from there. God begins to back it up because even though he's rested, he's eaten, he's in God's presence, he still doesn't have his confidence back. He still doesn't see himself as God sees him. He's seen God, but he hasn't seen himself right. He's still wearing his old label of identity. Woe is me, right? He's still wearing it. Now he's getting there. God's doing this intentionally. He's still there. He's still wearing this label of a victim. Everybody's against me. Nobody's for me. I'm by myself. And we get labeled so much of the time. I mean, years ago, we would say, well, that's a dysfunctional situation there. I look around now. Every situation's got dysfunction in it, man. Everybody's got issues we're working through. And all these labels get put on us. You're not enough. You're dumb, you're unacceptable, you're unworthy. That's why it's so important to get in places just like this because we're walking around carrying those labels from childhood sometimes or from a coach or from a teacher or from a, a, a boss that didn't understand what they were doing, parents that didn't understand what they're doing and our labels are all messed up. We need to get in places where God can relabel us and say, hey, I'm for you. You're forgiven. You're healed. I have a purpose for you. You're my child. The enemy tells, the enemy tries to mislabel me all the time. Greg, you're not enough. You're not enough of a real man. I mean, I'm the guy that would like to maul rather than to marsh. And I live in South Louisiana. What's wrong with me? All the time, the enemy would try to say, I'm a guy that don't know what's into the tool to use. My family, I hide the tools. And if I do find them, they run and hide from me. Oh, God, he's found them. Oh, God, we're fixing to blow something up. Or he's going to blow a gasket. He's going to get mad. Why didn't you hide those better? I was last Monday, I was trying to trim some, just trim some trees like a good man should. I got the six foot ladder out. I'm standing on top of the six foot ladder. Got it near my house. So I'm 12 foot up in the air at this point with one hand on the roof line, one hand on the loppers. And I'm doing the river dance on the ladder as it rocks. And I'm like, oh my God, what am I doing up here? And how do I get down from here? And nobody was there. I didn't know what to do. So I thought back. Well, a couple of years ago at work, I yelled for my wife, Stephanie! <laughs> Stephanie! People started running from everywhere. They said, oh God, Greg's about to kill himself again. People came from everywhere to my rescue. I'll never forget. I told you that story uh, about several years ago when, that, when we had that disturbed guy that came, tried to get in our house. Now, I don't mean he tried to break in or sneak in. I mean, he, <laughs> he was like, open the door at 1130 at night. Open the door, okay? We had that event going on. And we had to call Stephanie's cousin who lives a couple of houses down who was law enforcement, right? So I, we just barricade in the house. And he comes and he fixes it and he solves it. And I didn't find out until just recently that he had a private conversation. The law enforcement cousin of Stephanie had a private conversation with her later. Got with her and she says, Stephanie, he said, Stephanie, I, I just, 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 just maybe in private, you might want to get yourself a gun, keep it in private. Because Greg didn't look too good that night. <laughs> I'm like, you can't hear that too many times as a man. Live in South Louisiana, don't have a pistol or a fishing pole. What kind of man am I? That's exactly what I hear in my brain. 
I don't know how the enemy tries to label you or mislabel you. That's what I hear in my brain. You're not good enough. You're not man enough. You don't fit in with the guys. All these things that other guys could do and you can't do it. So sometimes I just have to step back and tear that label off. Tear because I realize it's tearing me down. It's making me feel unsettled and without purpose. And I have to say, just like Paul said in Scripture, I am what I am by the grace of God. It doesn't matter. I'm not going to wear labels of what I'm not. I'm going to wear labels of who I am, how God created me to be, and you need to too. Rip off that label of you're not enough or something's wrong with you. God formed you in your mother's room. He equipped you. He's given you gifts and your personality and your purpose and mine for a reason. Ephesians 2.10 says we're God's masterpiece. (laughs) You're not a mess. You're not a mistake. You're not some messed up label just waiting for life to dictate to you. No, God says he's created you anew in Christ Jesus so you can do the good things he's planned for you. Nobody else can do what he's planned for you. I just have to tear that label off and say as uncomfortable and as vulnerable as it may feel. God, I won't wear that label. God, you've created me unique for a purpose, slightly unusual too, but God, I'll connect with whoever needs me to connect with them. And I'll share my story for your glory. Let God imprint his identity on your heart. And lastly, here's our last way to get out of the cave. We need to step into a new assignment. It's not enough just to rest and begin to spiritually and emotionally heal and strip off the old labels and get in God's presence. You know, we can do all that, but never leave the cave. You realize that? He could have, all this that has occurred so far happened in the cave. You can know that and get to just at the border of healing and healthiness, spiritually, mentally, emotionally, but then back up and stay in the cave if we don't step out and begin to serve God's purpose. And it'll all unfold and go back downhill again. There comes a point where we have, because in 1 Kings 19, 15 through 18, the Lord said to him, go back the way you came. In other words, you can't sit here. If you sit here, you'll start sulking again and you'll get depressed again and woe is me again. He said, you've got to go back the way you came and start fulfilling the assignment and journey I've given to you. In other words, we need to remember why we're here to begin with anyway. What were we created for? As we're getting healthy, it's for a purpose. Even psychologists tell us there's nothing more powerful than a project. Just going through the motions of life and enjoying. We weren't created for pleasure. We were created for a promise and for purpose. We shouldn't just make a living. We should make a difference. We find true joy, the Bible says, when we begin to find out why we were put on this earth and serve others. Proverbs eleven twenty five 25 says, those who refresh others will be refreshed themselves. We'll never reach complete emotional health alone. I said this last week at the Mount Zion campus. Depression, I find out, I found out grows in the soil of isolation. But the other side of this is joy grows in the soil of relationships. You hear what I'm saying? Depression grows in the soil 
of loneliness and isolation, but true God-filled joy grows in the soil of relationships. Relationships with God, relationships with each other. We only come out of this cave together. We only go through life together. We only overcome. That's God's plan. Or else he'd have just said, go back in the cave and watch the fireworks show again. No, he said, you got to come out. You got to serve your purpose. You've got to fulfill your assignment. You've got to serve somebody else. Would you bow your heads, please? We're going to close the service. But I want to pray over you because some of you, you don't have to guess. You don't have to think. You don't have to wonder. Some of what I described today describes your life and you know it. God gave me a verse that he wants me to pray over you. No hands, no heads lifted, no hands raised. You know it. You felt like you've been alone in an emotional cave. Maybe your life full of people, but you feel unhealthy emotionally. Here's God's word for you today. Receive this. Receive this if this is you. God reached down from heaven and he is rescuing you. He is drawing you out of deep waters that may be over your head, just like I felt. You're trying to get to the surface. He is reaching down and drawing you out of those deep emotional waters. He is rescuing you from your powerful enemies, from those who hated you and were too strong for you, but they're not too strong for him. They attacked you at a moment when you were in distress, but the Lord from this day forward is supporting you. He's leading you to a place of safety. He's rescuing you because he delights in you. The world has tried to label you as a mistake. Something's wrong with you. No, God says, I delight in you. God says, my light is a lamp for you. And God says, I will light up. I will light up. I will light up your darkness. Father, may those who sit currently emotionally in darkness see a great light and in that light may they be hope where hopelessness was joy where depression was just an understanding that you're walking that you are for them and not against them and greater is he that is in them than he that is in the world god let a spark a glimmer of hope come back to them continue with your heads bowed your eyes closed this is how we're going to finish if you feel like because I said joy grows in the soil of relationship the first relationship we need is a relationship with Jesus that's where it all starts I'm not asking you if you've been in church I'm not asking you if you grew up in church I'm not asking you if you go to church or do churchy things I'm asking you do you have a real live vibrant relationship with Jesus I'm not asking you if you're perfect we all know we have issues. I'm just asking you, do you know Jesus? Maybe you knew him at one time, but life got in the way. Something happened and disconnected it. The good news is God is for you. He's calling your name today. He's drawing your heart today. Some of you feel it right now. Your heart, just, your heart rate just picked up a little bit. And you feel that gentle whisper. It's not loud. That gentle whisper of God saying, come back to me. Come back to me. Come back to me. I love you. If that's you, nobody looking around, just raise your hand real quick and then slip it right back down. Raise your hand so I know who I'm praying for. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to point you out. Thank you very much. Anybody else want to join them? 
Thank you so much. You can put your hands down now. I'm going to lead you in a prayer, a prayer of faith, not a, not a prayer of emotion or feeling. Got nothing to do with that. Just a simple prayer of faith. I'll pray it and everybody out loud is going to pray it after me because we got you back. We're in this together. Say, Father, I come to you today in Jesus' name. Jesus, I thank you for giving your life for me. And today, I give my life to you. Thank you that my life now has purpose and meaning and direction. And by your grace, I will serve you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name. Come on, give a big amen and a big hand clap.